Hello and welcome to the very first ever episode of, and maybe the last ever episode of DM and DM. My name is Nathan Peterson. I am the dungeon master for Dyson Desire, which you probably know because this may well, very well be re- released on the Dyson Desire thread. So if you don't know who I am, be a bit weird that you're listening to this show. But there you go. Um, for a little while, I've been thinking and toying around doing an, an interview-style TV sh- TV show. Brilliant, great start. And inter- th- this is why I shouldn't be allowed to do podcasts. Um, an interview-style podcast where I talk to other people, various other people from from other shows and walks of life about their experiences with Dungeons and Dragons, uh, or indeed other TTRPG systems, because I'm not going to just limit it to the one and only D and D. It's no surprise or no secret that this game has taken hold of my life and therefore I like talking about it. I like getting involved in conversations about it and it's pretty much all I do in my spare time nowadays. So yeah, that's the very brief outline of what this show was intended to be um, and I will be getting some guests on in the near future. But to start with, my very first guest is a man that, again, hopefully you are very familiar with. Uh, He plays your bard. Dweezil Vansafir. His name is Stuart Bullock. Welcome to the show, Stuart Bullock. Thank you, Nathan. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to be your first guest on your new podcast endeavour. Yeah, my my podcast, this one. Albeit, albeit yeah. it's going to be you know uh, thrown out on the same as the one we do together. It's this is mine. Yeah, you can't. The have Nathan it. Peterson show. The Nathan Peterson Television Spectacular. Yeah, me. I hate, you know, the focus and spotlight being on me. Also me. Let me do a podcast where I'm the focus and spotlight. Um, how are you? Very well. Very well as we speak. It's a it's a gloomy Friday in Manchester. Um, but I am off work, so that's nice. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. It's it's also gloomy here. Uh, I'm not in Manchester. That 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 part is very much different, but it is gloomy here. It's a Friday. It's also a Friday for me. Um, time no time difference there, no. so no, there, there isn't. Always the same. We learnt that. We learnt that on another podcast that we recorded <laughs> earlier this week. That the time is the same in the north and the south. D and D. That's a thing that connects us, as well as many other things. You, you've been playing for a while. We'll get we'll get into the D and D and the TTRBG and all that sort of malarkey in a little bit. But um, is it fair to say you're a fan of the game? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, I've been massively enjoying uh, our experiences and our adventure through through D&D and, and other uh, Pathfinder we've been playing as well. Um, been, been loving it. Really looking forward to all our sessions. We're, we're, uh, we're now about as far away from the last session as it's possible to be because we're due to play again on Monday. So I'm getting that itch. Um, yeah, lo- abs- loving it. Absolutely loving it. It's ta- Like you said, it's kind, kind of taken over my life in the last 12 months. Hmm. It's 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 very weird for 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 something that um I've looked at from afar for quite a while a few well a few years I wouldn't it's not like it's been there on my radar for like my entire life or anything like that but for I don't know five years for argument's sake um I don't think even I anticipated quite how much I was going to fall in love with it um mm-hmm. and that's and like I say like I said in my in, in introduction that's why I wanted to do this show because not only do I enjoy playing it it's great every two weeks playing with you guys um uh, as well as the other games that we run as you mentioned um it, it just 
all I do really is to talk about it or think about it. It's just so much at the forefront of my mind. It's bizarre. Um, I've I've sort of left my wife and child. I'm now living in a D and D hut where it's just me surrounded by dice. Uh, no, that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, but no, it's it's very much the forefront of of everything I do nowadays. Um, but aside from D and D, you're also a man. I think it's fair to say. You're, I am, a hum- yes. you're a human man who who has other things in life. So let's talk about about Stuart and who you are um, prior to, to, to Dyson Desire. Um, you're a music man. I am a music man. I come from far away. Very true. How did you get into music? What what is is that something? Oh, listen, I'm not going to boil you de- boil you down to one thing, which is music. But I think it's fair to say that's a big passion in your life. Um, yeah. Yeah. How did you get into music? What, is that something that's been with you since you was a kid, or is it just sort of something you sort of stumbled into? No, massively since I, since I was a kid. So music's always been my dad. My dad loves music. He's not a musician, but he's always loved music. He always had a big record collection. He was one of the first people we knew who got a CD player. Um, so there was always music around the house. Um, I, um, I, I I had an older brother half-brother who was 12 years older than me um and he he lived with us for a short period of time when i was very young and that's some of my earliest memories of music he would he listened to a lot of uh, a lot of heavy rock music a lot of acdc at that time i remember him showing me kiss um and it just being very exciting to me and it being something that i associated with my big brother who to me was uh some kind of god you know he was 12 years older than me so at the age of kind of four um three or four he he was you know 15 16 year old and he would play me this music um and from that that moment really i've I've always loved it i was a massive massive michael jackson fan from being about six um you know obsessed with the thriller album had that on a cassette which i would listen to constantly so it was always just listening to music on headphones was always a massive part of my life singing was something that came natural to me i used to go to church quite a lot uh, I was part of the boys brigade and we used to get taken to church and what have you on a Sunday. And I, I always remember singing in church and I remember I've got vivid memories of, of like old women at the church coming up to me after the service going, Oh, you've got a lovely voice and thinking, I like that. I like, I like <laughs> that. Um, so then it would get, you know, singing in school choirs and what have you being asked to do solos, performing in school plays, getting lead roles, that kind of thing. So it was, I always enjoyed that validation of people saying that I was good at it and then I wanted to do it more. I didn't start learning to play instruments until I was about 11. Started, bought myself a guitar when I was 13 or 14 and I haven't really looked back since, but it's always, always been there. The guitar, the, the gateway, the gateway instrument into <laughs> music. I mean... <laughs> Aside from guitar, what else would people start off with? A recorder? Uh, yeah. Triangle? Oh, I did play recorder when I was little. Triangle! <laughs> um, so, yeah, so guitar was your first... Is, is that, would you say that's your main weapon of choice, so to speak? If you had to play only one instrument for the rest of your life? Yeah, yeah, guitar, 100%. But it wasn't my first instrument. I did, I did learn to play recorder when I was at primary school and what have you, but I... I, I I started having French horn lessons when I was maybe 10 or 11, and that was my main instrument up to... Uh, that was what I went to college uh, as my main instrument to, to, to do A-level performance. And then halfway through my performance, I switched to, to taking my singing more seriously. Um, and that's what I then went on to study at university. I went on to study singing at university. But um, 
guitar's always been what I enjoyed. I I followed a very my music education was a very classical based education because that was what I that was kind of the pathway that was put in front of me. Um, but it was never my you know I've always been more of a pop music guy, and the guitar's always spoken to me a bit more because from being uh 12 and seeing guns and roses you know that kind of thing and like I say back to my brother showing me the acdc it's always been the guy with the guitar doing the crazy things that's been uh that caught my imagination that's amazing I, I, we sort of skimmed over it well i didn't skip, skim over it you, you mentioned it i had no idea like uh the church thing like was it so was that just like what while you was a kid or have you cause oh I don't, man I, you're certainly not a religious man now <laughs> or, or certainly don't come across as a religious no. man now and it's worth it's worth actually saying you mentioned there about singing um, I would say actually, not all the time, but there's certainly I've I've noticed in some of the stuff that I've heard you when you're singing, there's something sort of I don't know what the word is. Is it choristic? I, I don't know if that's the right word, but very much choral, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. There is something a little bit about that, a little bit like Sunday church style in some of your singing. So that makes sense that that would be where your first mm-hmm. or where you would have sort of learnt to sing, whatever. So yeah. is is, is church big thing for you or was it a big thing for you <laughs> i remember right i went to a c of e primary school like i think a lot of us did you know Same, the, yeah. a, a, school, a school that was nominally a church of england primary and this was in bradford of course because I'm, I'm i wasn't born in manchester <laughs> and there was a church next to the school you know uh 500 half a mile away from my house or what have you and i've got these memories of going there to sunday school as a kid and not liking it and I don't know whether that was my mum taking me or whatever. And then I joined the boys' brigade. And if you went to church on Sunday, you got points. And once a month, there was like the boys' brigade special service. And it was kind of expected that you go to that. So I would go to that out of kind of duty. And I suppose this is, you know, up to the age of being like 10 or 11. You kind of just take it with a pinch of salt. You get If you're brought up around a Christian school and going to church and people tell you these things about Jesus, you go, oh yeah, that's all true. That's all just the fact. Um, and you don't even question it. But I never had any kind of feeling towards it. I never had any like deep, like mm. kind of love for the religion. And then this is this is the bit that's going to get you. So we moved to Manchester uh, when I was 11. And round the corner from where I lived, there was a little church, a little evangelical church. And I started just taking myself to it on a Sunday afternoon for the Sunday service. Not with my mum and dad, no one making me go. I was taking myself. I had, I think I had this, just this, I, I was, I think I was looking for something. Yeah. I was, I felt like I would, I, I would, it's something that I'd had and I'd, I was missing. And, and I went and I went all the time. But, and I was always kind of trying to force myself to have any, some kind of faith or some kind of belief. And I don't think I ever really did. I was just I liked the idea of having the faith, having the belief. I had some friends who went to the church. Their father was actually the pastor. And I think what actually, what, what was the final straw in the coffin was that their father um, had an affair with the like the treasurer of the church and left their mother. And I was like, he's like he's like the best Jesus man, like he's the he's the he's the the captain of the Jesus team, and he's done this thing that was fairly abhorrent, you know. Like he he cheated on my mate's mum, like it it ruined their, you know, really devastated them and devastated their family. And he was meant to be the, the you know the the, mm-hmm. the captain of the Jesus team. So I thought, yeah, it's shit in it. 
I won't I won't bother with this anymore. I did I had another dabbling with the church about uh, nine years ago when my son was born. My wife really wanted to get him christened, and I said I'll do that. That's fine. But what I won't do is stand at the front of the church and tell lies. Got too much respect. Got too much. You know, they were, I'm I'm not going to disrespect someone's religion by standing in a church and lying. You know, I'm too much of a good guy, Nathan Peterson. You know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So we went along to this meeting. And the, the priest was like, uh, I believe you're not a Christian. I was like, yeah, that's true. She went, well, we'll work around that. We can make something work. Thank you for telling me. She said, most people just kind of go along with it and lie, you know, to get the kids Christian, to get them into a school or what have you. Thank you. I, you know, I really respect you. Um, so the way she repaid that kind of respect that I'd shown her was essentially to um, uh, just force me to do things for the church for the next three years. So I, I once again ended up like being a regular churchgoer because I was going to the church playing music and stuff. Like I was in the band at the church. I played the church organ for Carols by Candlelight one year, Nathan Peterson. <laughs> wow. She she phoned me like two days before and I was it was Christmas and she phoned me at ten o'clock at night. She did that on purpose. She knew I'd have had a, I'd have had a beer by that point, like a few days before Christmas. It's like, Stuart, can you play the organ? Like, not really. I can barely play the piano. Well, it'd be better than nothing, wouldn't it? I was like, why, what do you want me to do? We haven't got an organist for carols by candlelight. So I went down, I spent an entire day in the church basically practicing these three carols, working my way around the organ um, and played the organ for the carols by candlelight service. So that was good. So I have had this weird, it's, I'm sure at some point I'll somehow get dragged back into Christianity again against my will. It does seem to happen quite often. So a little bit, a little bit of context for for anyone listening who, who's, who's you know less familiar with us as as, as um, friends, perhaps people that haven't listened to us on Fruck Unwrapped and things like that. Um, known Stuart now. I was trying to work this out the other day. I don't know how long I've known you. So I, I know roughly speaking, um, I sort of met MJ. So we we know through um, know each other through a mutual friend, MJ, who's also on the uh, Dyson Desire podcast, plays Quinch. Um, the, the the second barbarian, um, and uh, so I know Stuart through him, and I, I met MJ in two thousand and fourteen because mm-hmm. it was about six months before six six nine months before I got married in two thousand fifteen. So I know that roughly speaking. Um, so I would have met you sometime after that. Well, not physically met because we obviously met at uh, his wedding. But in terms of like online meeting, so yeah, we must have known each other for about about five years, give or take. I think I, I remember congratulating you on your wedding in the comments oh. of a Frook video, so it must have been around that time, yeah, about 2015. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've known Stuart for give or take about five years. First time I think I've heard this. Certainly, first time I'm remembering any conversation about his um, his the fact that he's the most religious man I've ever met um, because he's helped he's helped the church. I mean, most people I know that are religious they just go to church. Stuart, on the other hand, is there actively um, influencing the faith of others. So fair play, mate. Fair play. Um, yeah, church church is a funny one. I um, same, same as you. I, I I I went to a C of E primary school. Um, and I agree like at that uh, you only really know at that age you only know the people you go to school with and maybe some family like cousins or whatever that that go to other schools but I didn't really have that most of all any of any of my close children family 
actually went to the same school as me. So realistically, my bubble was 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 this school. Um, and same as you, you just it wasn't a scientific fact, but yeah, Jesus, Jesus, mm-hmm. God, Holy Trinity, all that sort of stuff. It was the thing. There was there was nothing outside that very much. Um, I don't I don't think there was an, a point where the penny dropped or I didn't have any event like you where you know you were like oh maybe this isn't for me, but. I, I won't lie. Like, there's there's definitely been a part of me. Maybe not so much now. I think I've sort of. I think the veil was very much dropped. But there was there was a point where I was definitely not religious, but I sort of enjoyed going to church. Not necessarily on a Sunday, but like for a wedding or a christening or something. Like that. It was something I used to I used to go. Then I was like, I, there was something about the pomp and ceremony of it all that I sort of quite enjoyed. It was a familiarity to me and yeah. my childhood. So I can certainly understand that why you might sort of like want to find that faith or because it's part it is part of my identity i can't i can't i was i was i was confirmed at the age of like 10 or 11 i'm legally speaking i can go up and get the old uh bread and wine but you know it's it, it's it's not me now but it certainly was for but i can't deny that, that was part of my past you know for, for several years so fair play right, though, like, when it's a christening or a, a wedding or whatever it is nice to 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 go into church and it's it's kind of comforting it's kind of nostalgic it's um you know you get you get dragged to church for special occasions when you were at school so church had that special you know special occasion feeling around it so it is you know i do still quite enjoy you know and i love i love a i love going and singing a bit louder than everyone else that's great fun that's because you've, you've you've got the you've got the history, mate. You're, you're, you're the, you can do both as well. You can you can you can play and sing at the same time. You're the you're the Elton John of the uh, <laughs> of the church. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to get anti-religious by any means, but I, what I will say is on the point you said there about people lying. I, I, I'm not a fan of. So we had the, we had the um, uh, decision to make whether we got um, my daughter Adelaide um, christened. Um, or, and indeed, before that, whether we, where we got married, um, I'm not a fan particularly of people that use church as a um, prop. Yeah, yeah. If you're not religious, don't get married in a church. Don't get them christened. Like, don't go to church for six weeks just to be able to have a nicer scenery. Now, okay, if you've got a, if you've got a family who's heavily religious, I'll give you a bit of leeway on that one because it's you know you're, you're trying to keep traditions within your family. Okay, that's a little bit different. But if you don't have a religious family or super religious family, um, yeah, I just I just I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I just think that's a little bit hypocritical that you know mm. 300 and, 364 days of the year you don't pay any homage to to the religion and then all of a sudden it's it suits your needs and therefore you're suddenly you know yeah. captain of the god squad as as you said. <laughs> uh, well, let's move away from religion um, and let's talk about something else that requires um, uh, faith and make-believe. No, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But um, a, a little bit of faith. Um, TTRPG. That's why we're here. Ultimately, what's yeah. your what's your history with um, role-playing? Um, and we'll keep this one out of the bedroom. <laughs> Let me try to think about this. You know, like I, I, I remember. When I went, when I went, when I moved over to Manchester, in, in on the on the notice board there was a big hand drawn poster. It was awesome. It had a dragon and like someone fighting it and this ever. It said Dungeons and Dragons Club, such and such room. Look, uh, Monday lunch times at twelve thirty or whatever. And I was like, yes, sorry, brilliant. Can I, just, can I just stop you there? Is this at the C of E school? 
No, this was oh, okay. when I this was when I went to high school. When I moved over to Manchester, I went to high school. Um, so this would be in 1989, and and being excited by it because I, in my head that was like yes, I've always wanted to play, but I don't know why I wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. I've been trying to get to the bottom of where my interest in kind of fantasy came from. Like I had a perhaps like a, I had a fighting fantasy book. I'd read Choose Your Own Adventure books when I was a kid, and then I'd got a fighting fantasy book. I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't the Warlock of Firetop Mountain. Um, all I remember about it was you had to pick your weapons from an armory, and if you chose the battle axe, you, you were down a weapon because the battle axe was missing, and that was a clue later on, you see. Um, can't remember which it was. So. But I'd always had that interest. Maybe the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon, perhaps. Um I was thinking maybe it was a link to rock music as well, because you get all the fantasy imagery and rock music. And But that was it. When I, As soon as I saw that, I was like, right, I want to do it. And I turned up to the club and opened the door, and the teacher who was running it sent me away, shouted at me, sent me away. Which, um, in hindsight, do you know I don't know. With, with hindsight, I wonder whether maybe they got a bit of grief, whether they got a bit of disruption, and she thought it was a bit of disruption. Um, I, I think that perhaps they were part way through a, a campaign. Maybe. And and I was too late. I joined the school after October half term. Perhaps I was just too late. Um, but that that was that kind of put me off. Uh, it didn't put me off. It, it stopped me from wanting to go to the school Dungeons and Dragons club. Um, but then I still had this desire to play to play role playing games. So what uh, what edition would that have been then? I think you said before. Is it, is it, would that have been second edition or advanced right. or something like that? So that would have been, um, I want to say, Redbox second edition. That would have been. I, re- I know that they were playing the Keep on the Borderlands module. I remember that they were playing the Keep on the Borderlands module because I, when I did finally get to play D&D later on, that teacher gave us the Keep on the Borderlands module, which we didn't play. Um but when I first started playing, the first edition of D&D that I bought was the big black box, um, which I think they call it like the easy to learn. It was it was second edition basic. Right. So, so you started playing with 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 that version, and how did that? Like, did you, was that something that you uh, found yourself? Uh, did you did you fall straight into it? Did you find it hard to pick up? Did you stick with it for a while? How what was your what was your experiences with that? We did, uh, looking back on it, we didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. What we did was we used some of the Dungeons and Dragons reference material to allow us to basically do some collaborative storytelling, which is essentially what Dungeons and Dragons is. But I don't, you know. I remember that my character got to a stupidly high level very, very quickly because we, I think we just decided that that would be best. And we, no one was planning everything. It was completely open world sandbox adventure. We weren't running modules, but there was, there was similarly, there was no real kind of planning involved. It would be just, we'd just make it, we'd make it up as we go along. Nominally, a lad called John was the DM and he'd just throw things at us and we'd pretend, you know, we'd, you know, we, we would we did a lot of shopping. Uh, there was a lot of. I think we built a castle at one point. But essentially, we were just making stuff up and being being silly with it. But it wasn't really 
uh, following the system, despite the fact that I, I then went on one of the most beautiful source books and one of the best source books, which I think TSR, as it was then, ever released for D&D, was the Rules Cyclopedia. And I, I remember saving for the Rules Cyclopedia. And it was a fantastic... It was it brought in, I want to say, Druid and Mystic as mm-hmm. two, new, two new classes that could be played. Uh, it was a great book. I also bought... I remember buying a, a folder of a second edition AD&D monster manual or monster compendium. And that was fantastic. Just re- so I love reading through the different monsters and because, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of all encompassing for a period of time, just obsessed with it. When, like you, say say, period, when you say a period of time, like how long are we talking? Like a years, like, weeks, months? I know I it's hard to, know. it's hard to tell from like this side of, uh, think, memory. I think I was playing maybe for for a couple of years, maybe for a couple of years, um, maybe from being 14, 13, 14 to being about sixteen. Mm-hmm. Certainly didn't play once I left school. Um, by that point, I'd kind of moved away from D and D and got more into the Games Workshop side of things, um, which scratched that kind of fantasy itch, but in a more uh, kind of collectible way you know it, it it became the hobby of painting everything as well and got into that but I, one of the things that put me off D&D which was maybe an, put an end to it there was a shop a small town outside Manchester called Ashton there was a shop that sold fantasy stuff it sold D&D source books it sold miniatures paints all that kind of stuff massive foam weapons for LARPing and I remember going in and looking at something. I can't remember what it was that I was asking for, what it is that I was looking for, but basically the guy sneering at me for playing D&D and not AD&D. And I was like, I don't really know. I didn't really know that there was an option to play AD&D, but he was like, you play Dungeons and Dragons. No one plays Dungeons and Dragons, mate. Everyone plays advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, I mean, now I'd, you just go, oh, you absolute gatekeeping wanker. But at the time, you're like, oh, I feel like I've been yeah, embarrassed. Like, as bad as it is, like, I've gone into a geeky shop and been made to feel like not enough of a geek. I imagine there's an awful lot of people who've got similar stories of just horrific gatekeeping by um, socially inept nerds. It's, it's quite a, it's quite a tough world to break into. So you know, a, a lot of people. I think it's fair to say, um, a lot of people that historically, maybe not so much in the last few years, but historically, D and D is you know it's, it's the game of the nerds. It's, it's very much a, 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 uh, it's got its own culture. And certain, it's attracted certain um, type of people. And unfortunately, those people have probably not had a great time at school. They've probably, whether that's not even just bullying, but just anything that just makes them a little bit socially awkward, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so maybe they're not quite equipped with dealing with that sort of scenario of just like trying to welcome people in. That sounds like I'm saying all nerds are are assholes. I'm not trying to say that, but there are certainly some people that have probably, you know not had the best time at, at, at school and, and, and in their upbringing and it's maybe made them like you say a gatekeeper maybe they're a bit protective over what they want and a bit snobbish over liking this one system over another you know i came to dungeons and dragons knowing 
Dungeons and Dragons. That's all I knew. I didn't know that there was a fifth edition. And even when I, if I'd heard the words fifth edition, I just assumed it's the same game but with a few added stats. You know, it's like it's like mm-hmm. FIFA. It's the same game as five yeah. years ago, except for I've got different players and slightly better graphics. And you know, it's ultimately I'm still playing the same game. But now, it, with that hindsight of the last year of playing, I understand. Although I don't really understand the differences, I understand that. 5e and 3, 3.5e and advanced D&D and all these various systems are quite mechanically different. Yes, ultimately mm-hmm. we're still playing the same game of role-playing and combat, but actually it's it's a different. It's a, ultimately it's, it's quite a different game. And that's before you span off into Pathfinder and um, Call of Cthulhu and all the various other games that are out there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame that you would have you would have had that experience. Um, so. Coming back to it, so you, uh, Warhammer, is it what you said you play? Yeah, so I played, I started playing Warhammer, as it was then Warhammer Fantasy Battle, which is the, is the kind of high fantasy, you know, elves and orcs and goblins and knights and stuff. And then moved into the Warhammer 40,000, which is the more space orientated, which then led me to, to into my one and only uh, attempt at writing an RPG. And I, I created my own RPG. I think I've told you this before, it was called Future Shock. Yes. And it was essentially a, a very watered-down kind of D&D-based system, D20 system, but using Warhammer 40,000 races and classes. I mean, that's so how essentially what I'm saying is I invented Starfinder. <laughs> well, well, we'll get onto Paizo and, and see if they can um, send you some rules. <laughs> but um, ultimately, I'd imagine that's where a lot of us start. I mean, I, I don't think it's exactly this, and I don't know that you know the 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 um, uh, the intricacies of it. But there's a lot of people that say that ultimately Pathfinder is D. Yeah, people love D and D 3.5e, um, and then when they went to four, fourth edition, they that people were like, mm, we like three and five, three point five, but we think there could be some improvements, and that's ultimately where it spanned from. It's it's yeah. it's that, but different, and that's obviously how all. Of the, I doubt very many systems that are being. Um, I might be wrong, and I apologise to anybody who is making their own things, but I imagine a lot of the games that are out there or new systems that are out there take something existing and develop it. Whether it's just the, like you said, the creatures and classes and things like that, and and and, and bit base it off of that, and then completely do everything outside I doubt there's anything that's completely original and doesn't borrow or isn't influenced by something else out there so that's fair enough mm. um, talk to me about Warhammer though I, I don't really I don't really know much about it other than the, the, the minis and the painting like I, I assume there's no role play it's all just sort of more tactical fighting there, you, there are ways in which you can make it more uh, have a more role play element so there are for example, with with Warhammer Forty K, you can do the you can do a conquest where you you build a team and that team evolves over time. But it's not it's not so much. I imagine there are people that play it in a, with a more kind of role play heavy way. Um, I mean, I've I've been known to make a gun noise. <laughs> but write that, write that down for the title of the show if we're gonna, <laughs> gonna do that. There have been I think they have released some some Warhammer role-playing games as well, but I've never, never really played them. For me, it was always just that. It just appealed to me. that co- Collecting things has always appealed to me. Stuff and kit has always appealed to me. So buying them, buying the minis, collecting them, painting them, getting that white dwarf magazine, looking at how other people painted them, and, and actually playing the games back then was always a very, very rare occurrence. I had I had one mate that, had, that, that played Warhammer, 
Um, I would try and get other people into playing 40k and what have you, and I managed to convince a couple of mates to buy bits of armies and we'd, we'd play some games. But ultimately, it was it was very difficult to get a game going. I'd go to the store sometimes and play, and God, there was some gatekeeping there in the 1990s, like um, like serious serious gatekeeping. And from the store's point of view as well, there were you had to you had to you had to paint the bases of your minis a certain colour, otherwise you weren't allowed to use them on the tables. Like, I know that Warhammer 40,000 is essentially a, uh, a satire of, of a fascist uh, regime, but Games Workshop in the 1990s was kind of playing that out in reality. <laughs> if, I mean, to me, if you have to paint them a certain colour, why not just make them that colour? Like it just it, uh, that just yeah like you say that's gatekeeping that, that just seems pathetic. Yeah, um, yeah I, I was thinking earlier when you were talking about the um, like how your your introduction introduction to TTRPG. Um, I don't know what would have been my first, but I certainly remember as a kid getting White Dwarf um, fairly regularly. I don't know if it would have been every what was it a monthly magazine I assume or quarterly or something like yeah. that. I feel like I got it for a little while. I got it fairly regularly. Never bought anything from it. Never, never used it to buy minis or anything like that. I just, I think I liked the artwork. I think I liked. Yeah. Couldn't tell you anything I read in it. I just remember looking at it and going, "Oh, that's a, that's a good looking miniature. I like that. I like the, you know, whatever they they were highlighting." But yeah, couldn't couldn't tell you what else I got it for. Um, was very much above me. I think at that point I was relatively nerdy, nerdy as a kid. But I don't. I think white white dwarf was very much beyond me in terms of my my nerdy capabilities and my understanding of of this world that we now enjoy so much um i think you i can't remember if you mentioned it on the show it was before we started recording but you said i think you said today or this weekend you're going to be playing warhammer with with theo uh theo yeah. being your son for anyone who doesn't know we've been um yeah so we got the warhammer 40,000 kind of core set at Christmas time, uh, so we've been, we've both been painting. We've got all kinds of minis and what have you. So we've been tra- feeling our way through the game. Really, it's it's a very very complex game. You, you, every every unit, every miniature, every character's got its own set of rules. And at the moment, we're playing a very watered down version where we're um, we're, we're playing a, on a much smaller scale than than it should be played. Just try to get to our grips with get to grips with the mechanics of of combat and movement and that kind of thing. But we had a game yesterday and he he destroyed me. So we're we're up in the ante a bit today and we're we're putting some more minis on the table and we're going to have another game this afternoon. Um, it's nice to it's something to it's cerebral. It's something to play with him that's that's away from a screen for a couple of hours. Um, it encourages him to want to paint the minis and stuff as well so it's just try to do things that we can both enjoy that i'm going to enjoy doing with him that he's going to enjoy doing he's probably on on the young side to be playing it it's, you know it's a lot of it's quite complex but um you know we're, we it's, it's something for us to do together and is he enjoying it is it something that he wants yeah. to do or do you, you don't feel like you're forcing him to do it or anything like that is it something he actively asks to do or anything oh yeah he's he he, he much like us, as soon as we started playing D and D and what have you, he's wanted to, he wants to play D and D. As soon as I started painting some minis, he wants to paint minis. He likes the idea of it all. Mm. Um, he wants to he wants to be involved in it. You know, when he draws, he draws uh, 
Space Marines, or he draws D and D classes and and that kind of stuff. He wants to be involved in it. He's he's very much interested in doing it. You know, um, another mutual friend of ours. We've we've spoken about getting getting the kids involved in a watered down D and D game at some point as well. It's yeah, he does. He does want to. You know, it's ultimately at this point I'm just trying to do anything with him to get him away from a tablet and a TV screen though. <laughs> Yeah, but I, we, yeah, it, it's we, we're my daughter's at an age where uh, she's very much living on the tablet, and I don't like it particularly. But at the same time, she's sort of an age where it's quite difficult to really connect with her. Like playing games, she doesn't really understand the point of what a game is and stuff like that. Whereas obviously Theo's a little bit older, and you can sort of have that proper like sit down, actually try and get him involved in something, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah. It's good. It's good to know. I mean, on 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 that point. And obviously the fact you being a teacher and obviously have um, interactions with obviously kids on a larger scale. Um, you've obviously, I think you've mentioned this in, in conversations um, with other people, but do you, do you think that like RPGs and things like that have a place? Maybe not in the school setting, I'm certainly not curriculum, but in terms of school clubs and things like that, do you think it, it's something that they should be maybe not encouraged to do because that sounds like it's, it's more important than certain other things but do you think it's something that, that, that should be seen in schools as sort of social clubs and things like that would you encourage it at yours 100% once things are back to normal and I'm able to do things like that, it's difficult for me because as a music teacher I have extracurricular activities that I'm expected to do and that I want to do that are musical but I do want to try and do something with D&D I think it's really important I've seen kids at every school I've gone to groups of kids that will sit and play Pokemon or play Yu-Gi-Oh, those kind of games. And I just think to myself, those are the same kids that ultimately that would that, that would probably enjoy playing D and D. Kids that like games, kids that that want to do something that's sociable. Because there is even even in those collectible card games, there's whilst it's not kind of pure role play, there is still an element of putting yourself in the position of the Pokemon trainer or the the whatever a Yu-Gi-Oh player is called or whatever, you know. So I think there's there are still kids that would enjoy that social, traditional role-playing game. Uh, I think it's really good for to give a certain type of kid a group, to give them a safe space, to give them an opportunity to turn off reality for a bit. Um, that's what it was for me. It was it was somewhere to go at lunchtime, where there were other like-minded kids. There was no one who was gonna bully you or call you a name for being nerdy or liking things that they didn't like, and uh, it was just a safe space. Um, and I think that it's in terms of imagination, in terms of the way it switches your brain on a little bit more. You know, it does have. It's not only a social thing. It's it is good for for kids' development. Mm. Yeah, I, I I think that from just an outsider point of view, and 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 certainly for myself, you know, it it te- you know, there's things that can be learned. It's it's reasoning. It's it's um, uh, problem solving. Yeah. It's uh, you know, role. I think role playing and acting and things like that also help us to sort of try and maybe think about. Um, our own place in society, as well as others, I think. It, I think it, it, role playing and it helps probably with empathy of, of identifying with other people and other types of things. 
Um, maths, you know, it, mm-hmm. it helps to some degree with that, with you know having to work around modifiers and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's plenty of different little little things that it, it would work with. It's certainly, like I say, I don't work in the school, um, but but equally I sort of look at it and go, I can see why this would be beneficial to some kids. Not everyone's going to get it. Not everyone's going to want to want to love it, and it might not necessarily call to everyone, but. Um, I think ultimately there are definitely things that can be learned from it, and I'm I'm, yeah. I'm sort of an advocate, and so yeah, I do think it'd be nice to see more of that. And and you saying there about the um, the kids that are playing, say Pokemon. Um, I was listening to a podcast a few months ago, um, uh, Chaotic Creations, and they had a guy on there who uh, runs and has developed his own Pokemon themed game. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't even have to be Dungeons and Dragons necessarily. No. Like if if there was a big like Pokemon group, you know, and they and they thought about wanting to get involved in it, they don't have to completely jump no. ship to a new thing. They could essentially mesh the two and take that passion they already have for something and mm-hmm. adapt it into something else. Um, obviously, for you and whoever, I don't know how you would organise these sort of clubs and schools uh, in, in school, but you know whether you were actually running it or whether you were just overseeing it and just letting them learn the thing themselves mm. um, you know it's, 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 it's clear that, you know, there's, there's, there's something in this RPG for everyone and I think that's going to help adults and yeah. kids yeah um, with RPG let's let's just touch on, on D&D specifically I'm going to come to, we're going to talk, talk the whole reason I want to get people on here is to talk about DMing but just before we go on that on, on D&D uh, you've obviously now been playing for how long is it? When, when is it you joined? You joined about April, our game? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, how did you, first of all, how did you find that coming back into the world of, of D&D, having not played for, for years? And obviously, I know obviously you had a relatively sp- safe space in terms of knowing everyone that was involved, but mm-hmm. how did you find coming back into it at, at, at as an older man, <laughs> so to speak, um, <laughs> having not had the experience for years? It's good. I mean, the internet, it makes such a massive difference, doesn't it? Like, instantly... I was able to find all kinds of sources, all kinds of websites like RPG Bot, you know, websites like that, which which allow you to when you first start playing and you're like, all right, I want to make a character. What is the absolute best way I can make this character work in terms of being the best for winning Dungeons and Dragons? So there's, there's resources like that, which are fantastic, which really help you. But ultimately, I think that um, 5e as a system just really makes sense like it's just it just makes sense i and i think that like i said we'll talk about dm in a bit more in a bit but it, it you, you take as little or you a little as little or as much as you want of the mechanics and of the rules and you build on it and as long as everyone's having fun playing the game it doesn't really matter whether your rules heavy or, or or your rules light. I think we're uh, the Dice and Desire podcast. We're fairly rules light, aren't we? We're we we you 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 let things you let things slide. You'll you'll look things up sometimes, but ultimately you'll make a decision based on uh, based on whether you think it's fitting for the game. And five e for me just it just kind of makes sense. It's it's it allows you pure role playing, basic combat system. You roll some dice. There's, I like that. I like the, the the six the six key stats all make sense. You, you your modifiers and everything. It just for me, it all just seemed to make total sense. Like you know, like pre older versions and stuff where you'd have like the to hit armor classes hero and that kind of stuff. This system, for me, just makes a lot more sense. 
did you find coming into so we'd obviously played hmm had we only played the one session when you joined or we played two? I know you were I think you, I think you played I think you played two I think you played one in in real life and then you'd played one online no I've or maybe a, not no I think you joined I don't remember doing one online without you so it must have only done the one the one session um did you find like because obviously that's something completely new. That's a diff- very much like today is new. I've never spoken to you like this one on one about you and your experience and stuff. But that's that was something else new that we'd never done before, like role playing or acting or you know. Did you find yeah. any embarrassment? Did you find it hard adapting to that with new people? I know we knew each other, but new people that we'd never done you'd never done that before with. Did you find that awkward or embarrassing or? I don't think so. I think that I think there was an element of joining a party one session in where there were certain things there were there were certain in jokes that had already developed that I didn't feel part of there was for example the I think there was a ja- I think there was a javelin that had been inserted in a horse's anus which that, that everyone was like all over and I was like I don't know that I don't that that's but it only took maybe it only took a session or t- a session or so for me to feel completely part of it i think by that point as well we might have brought another player in as well yeah i think we played once with you and then i think the second session or the third or the third sorry your second yeah. session i think we might have brought mike in i can't remember yeah it was, either, it was either one or two between you and him coming on board yeah um and that yeah, instantly then I, I wasn't the new guy anymore so no, no. and like you said I, I think you know even even the in jokes that we did have we didn't have many. We'd, we'd played, I can't remember the first session, was probably about four hours long. Obviously quite chunky, um, but nothing too too mad. I don't think there was too many in-jokes off the back of that. But, you know, you coming in second session, you know, from mm-hmm. there on in, we everything else just, you know, the, everything there on after is going to be an in-joke to, to, to you. Um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, in, so glad that we got you on board. Like, if, if, we'd, if COVID had never happened and we'd carried on playing D&D, face to face there's a good chance we wouldn't have got you involved because i'm not sure that we would have developed to an online game you know i think we would have stuck me luke um mj and sam would have probably just played in person once a month or however long it would have taken us to to meet up because we're not exactly all on top of each other physically um but there's a chance that you wouldn't have come on board and i'm so glad you did because i think you add so much to the podcast both you know the music side of things i mean we'll talk about we didn't mention it in the music thing but this is bardcore um and and dweezil van Zafir's songs in in the in the podcast i think just give us so much more legitimacy um as a show but i think you as a person i think you drive you're one of the one of the guys in the group who drives the story forward yeah you want to have fun yeah you want to enjoy yourself and make jokes etc etc but i think you're also very much we're here to tell a story and mm-hmm. you help push that forward. Not saying other people don't, but just you always have that at the back of your mind that, yeah, it's all well and good having fun, but I don't really want to, I don't want to be here every two weeks, just staying in the same spot, just doing dick jokes. Like it's nice to <laughs> evolve the story and evolve the game further. Um, is that true? Would you say that's fair? I think so. I think it's. I think you need to have a mixture. What I love about our our crew is that we have got a mixture of people who are really invested in storytelling and really enjoy and get completely immersed in it. And then we've got complete chaos. We've got people that that want their characters to be 
um, special, and we've got people who are happy to be in the background. And I think you you absolutely need that. And I do, yeah, I do take. I think I, do, I take the game a little bit more seriously. I like I I I want my I want my characters to have a more of a serious side to them and I want to see where they're going to go. So you want to push the story on to, to, to get there. You know, I don't want to still be in a cave at level three in two years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and Stroking you- rats. And, 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 neither, and neither do I. I tell you what, that, that's hard. Always remembering where we are on the podcast and where you and I are. Like you said about the, the, the stroke in the rat thing happened at this point months ago. Yeah. Um, we, we, we did a podcast earlier this week and we started making in jokes about stuff that happened in the last session to somebody who listens to the podcast. And it was just very odd that we're going, oh shit, yeah, that she doesn't really, she doesn't know what we're talking about because that I think it was about uh, Catamonda Piggins, which again, People who listen to this will not know who Catamonda Piggins is, um, unless they follow us on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just funny. Um, but no, I I, th- I thank you for that, and I and I, that, I would guess that's probably probably for me as well. That's what I would want. Yeah, the chaos is quite hard to to deal with at times, but but it, ultimately that is the talk, sort of that's what I want to be doing with my time. I want I want there to be fun. I don't want it to be just you know, six of us just all story-driven and being quite serious and just trying to do that. I mean, yes, it would get the story moving quicker, but ultimately it might be at the sacrifice of a bit of fun. Um, but it's nice having that bit of chaos just to have a bit of downtime and just enjoy the moment and be a bit silly and a bit stupid. And hopefully listeners resonate with that and hopefully people who listen to our show like that mixture. I do think we, I think we, we fortunately do straddle both of them fairly well i don't think we've we've had one or two occasions where maybe the chaos has got the better of us um but yep. we you know we're, we're on you know monitoring that on you know with every session hoping that that doesn't become too much of an issue um because we want we want people to be invested in the story and the characters um so yeah but like i say I, I'm, I'm i'm so glad that we got you involved because, um, like I said, I just think you add so much to the to, to the podcast. Not to say no one no one else does, but just it was just you know when you just get someone and you're right, that's that feels right. Um, do you have just a really silly question? Do you have any favourite classes or creatures or anything from the game, like specifically that you in the near year that you've been playing that you you've enjoyed either playing as or playing against? Do you know what I love? I, I, just low-level antagonists. I, I think goblins are ch- just tremendous fun. There's a reason why they're they're so overused in D and D and RPG systems. Um, they're <laughs> it, it, when you first start playing, you're like. Yeah, just kill the goblins, and then you, I st- you start reading things online and on Twitter and stuff. And it's like, why is everyone just, you know, those gob that goblin was someone's son, that goblin was someone. And you start, I have had, I have had some of these kind of crises of, uh, you know, morality about whether or not we should just be going around because we are a little bit murder hobo we. Um, I've, I've I've had a really small well of of classes that I've played, and I've played a. I played a sorcerer, which I'd like to go back to a, 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 a caster at, at some point again. I had a bit of a disaster with a sorcerer in a one-shot. I was enjoying playing a monk 
in Path, uh, and that was in D and D, wasn't it? When I was playing Elrond, it was in D and D. Enjoyed playing a monk. Um, Bard, uh, I've played a rogue, which I very much enjoyed. I'd like to go back. I'd like to specifically revisit that exact character again. Another point because I felt like that was cut short for me. Um, but do you know, Bard just makes complete sense to me. I, it, I feel really, really comfortable playing it. Like when I first decided to play a bard, I was like, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, play a bard, it makes sense for you. It's like, it really, really does. I think I think it's unlikely that I will, should anything ever happen to Dweezil, will I ever play a, a bard again? Maybe not. Like, um, there are characters that you play which will end up defining you. Uh, you play them for a long time and. And what you know, it, it would feel kind of weird to to make another bad and try and make it different mm. to to Dweezil. You know, you can go down different colleges and that kind of stuff, but ultimately the way I the way I play Dweezil as a bad, Dweezil's not a horny bad stereotype, which I'm very you know proud to say. I don't I think Dweezil actually uh, meets many bad stereotypes. Um, he's a much more uh, he, he's got a lot more self-doubt than a lot than than most bards will have, you know. Um, and I think it'd be difficult for me to then just go and play a different type of bard. The the class that's really surprised me that I'm enjoying though is I'm playing a fighter in Pathfinder, because I didn't have time to plan a more interesting character, and I'm just loving playing a big daft, big daft lad with a sword. Mm. Um, it's 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 totally. It's refreshing to not have to think when you when you're RP in a bard, and you've got to face up the party, and you've got to have a conversation with someone, and you've you've set a kind of set this bar for someone who tries to tie people in knots with words and this that and the other. It's quite stressful sometimes. Like there's there's times where I'll 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 purposefully not say anything because I'm just not feeling particularly, not feeling particularly RP, not feeling particularly confident in it myself. Whereas. I've, I reckon I've always got it in me to, to swing a sword at a goblin. <laughs> and if you haven't, you're playing the wrong games, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally get that. I, I, I yeah, I, I think that's the same. You know, I, not that we got too many sessions of it, but it'd be the same with me playing a paladin. Yeah. Like we only got like half a dozen sessions, but I don't feel like I could ever play a paladin in certainly not in D and D. Maybe in a different game if there was, a, but certainly in D and D, I don't feel like I could play another paladin without wanting to be Tarhan. It just yeah. feels, it just felt right to me. Although the character was semi developing as was as we were playing, he sort of started off trying to be quite serious, ended up being a bit bit of a joke, bit of a yeah. whatever. Um, but I just don't think I would ever go down that route unless I just resurrected him as a character. And I could see the same for you, like, especially as obviously you've so far and hopefully do go on to play as a bard for, for quite some time. By the time you finish your story, whether that's, a, you know, a tragic end or whether that's the end of SKT, I don't see what you could do, you know, because to me, um, to me, Dweezil is very much you. He is a, he is an extension of your personality. He is you, mm -hmm. but slightly exaggerated. Um, and, yeah, you'd you'd have to literally, if you wanted to play a bard, you'd have to do something completely different and just play Catamon. You'd have to play something yeah. completely just unlike you whatsoever. And I don't know if that necessarily is what you want to do. Um, mm -hmm. Luke on our show often talks about role playing characters that are that you feel comfortable with and that you can you don't have to think about too much. Whereas if when you're playing something that's completely 
different to you every single line that comes out of your mouth or every single action you, you've got to do you have to think about is that what that person would do and that works for some people and it doesn't necessarily work for others so yeah right let's 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 talk about um dming then that's why i got you on here and that's how what i'm aiming to sort of although we've spent nearly an hour talking about everything but um <laughs> yeah dungeon mastering you've obviously not got a huge it's fair to say you've not got a huge experience with it you've, you've done what have you done now about four or five sessions i think with us yeah i think so yeah so what have you done yeah. we did we did three sessions of the um Three sessions of the, the boat party. Yeah, the boat party. And then a, a, and then the Christmas one shot, and I think that's it. Another one. I might have, might, yeah, might have done four, might have been four sessions. The three or four sessions of the boat party, and then the Christmas one shot that I DM'd. Yeah. So I think the first question is, um, when you first started playing last year, did you see DMing being in your future? Did you? Is it something that when you started playing, or even just shortly after you started playing, did you think? I wouldn't mind giving DM and going, uh, DMing a go, or did you sort of feel, no, nope, that's not for me, don't want to touch that at all? I think it felt inevitable. As soon as I started playing, you start thinking about, like, it, it, the, the idea of doing something at school and what have you did come, come into my head almost almost immediately. So you're thinking, like, I'll probably end up DMing. Now, it did seem almost inevitable that I'll end up DMing, because the more particularly right at the beginning as well, where I was just com constantly reading D&D stuff. You're like, I'm putting all this work in. At some point, it'd be nice to be in control of it. But then, after a while of playing, I realised I did not want to DM. Um, I didn't want to at all. And you kept, you kept, um, oh, you'd be a great DM, Stuart. I think you'd be a fantastic DM. I think you're, you come, oh, you're a really good storyteller. You're really creative. You'll be, you'll be a great DM. And I was like, oh, thanks, mate, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that, that, that was obviously obviously I've got a vested interest in that as someone who likes yeah. you know who does enjoy his role as it is. It's nice to play every now and again, and obviously I've always got that vested interest. If someone wants to DM, cool, that gives me a night off. But equally, yeah. I, I stand by it. Um, before and after I've seen you DM, I, you know, as a musician, even if you even if you don't even if you don't you know create your own music. Music is a story in its in its own way, um, mm -hmm. even without singing. And so, you know, you've got that. You are that. You're very you're very good at talking. You're very good at storytelling. You know, stuff from your own experiences. And so, I just always thought Stuart would make a good DM. Like, aside from any nerves or anything like that, any self doubt, the guy's got it. The guy knows what to do. It's just unlocking that in him. So I'd stand by that then, and even more so now. I did. I think when I first agreed to DM, it was because one of our regular group couldn't play for uh, on the night that we were scheduled to play. So I suggested, let's do something else. And it was it was it was purely 100% altruistically to give you an opportunity to play rather than DM. So I was like, right, I'll do it. And we we'd been contacted by someone who who'd asked us if we'd we'd run through one of their one shots as well, one shot, um, <laughs> shot campaign. Uh, so I, oh, I'll have a go. I'll have a go at a pre a pre written module, and like it was it, it was so incredibly stressful. It was like the prepping for it, the, doing the re. I'd put things off until the last minute. I'd 
and then eventually I'd get like a little burst of, of energy where I'd, I'd finally get some stuff done and get some get something prepped and make my notes and put things in. I felt like I was revising for an exam. I really did feel like I was revising for an exam. Um, partly because that first first adventure, and I don't want to spoil anything because it is recorded and it'll, it'll probably come out on the Dyson Desire feed at some point, was a murder mystery. And it was very dense. And I was worried that if I got a small thing wrong, it would have a big impact because essentially I was drip feeding clues. It was it was very it was almost entirely RP. You know, there was one combat spoilers. Brilliant. Beat that out, Nathan. Nope. Um, it was almost it was almost entirely RP. And I had quite a big cast of NPCs to play. And I, for some reason, committed to distinct accents and voices for every single npc which didn't always didn't always come out quite as smoothly as i would have liked them to um but it was a it was a gr- i think it was a great great module really enjoyed it and i would have loved to have played it but i found the whole dming of it incredibly stressful there were very few points in it where i felt like i could relax and just yeah. help you guys to play the game Whereas my only other experience, we played a Christmas one shot, much more linear. It was if if something if I didn't do something right, it didn't really have make much of an impact down the road because whatever happened, you were getting to where you needed to go, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I I didn't have any nerves. I I absolutely loved it, um, and it was I think you know everyone everyone enjoyed the session. It was good fun. Um, but two two completely contrasting uh, DMing experiences, and I think what it has what it has uh, shown me is I think I would be much more comfortable DMing where I was more in control. So I think that uh, you know with, with, there's been some talk that we're possibly going to carry on that one shot into a campaign, and that is going to be uh, homebrew. Which I mean, um, I've now found out that's relative. It was relatively homebrew, anyway, wasn't it? What you, you, I mean, to some degree, what you, what you played with us. I'm not not saying completely, but like there was a bit more. You put some of that stuff into it. Oh yeah, but because I, I was just mucking around. Yeah. Because because I had the freedom to do it. I had the freedom to do it, and uh, the, the God, this is going to make me sound like a big head. Have you? There's a meme, and it shows it's a picture, and it's about it's about being a DM, and it's to do with IQ. And it's like um, there's a spot in the middle where it's like 90% preparation and hard work. And then you've got below that where it's the not very clever DMs who are just winging it and making it up as they go along. And then above that where you've got the high intelligence DMs who are just winging it up and making it as they, making it up as they go along. I'm not saying which side of that IQ curve I'm on. I'll leave, I'll leave that for other people to decide. But I think I'm very much a winging it kind of DM. And I couldn't do that in the murder mystery because no. things had to happen in order to progress the story. Do you think if we played the games the other way around, so if you'd done if if the Christmas one had been your first game, do you think that would have helped with the with the yeah. other one? And yeah, take some of the nerves 100%. out maybe or hundred percent. It was it would have taken some of the nerves out. It would have it would have meant I was. At, I wouldn't have gone into it feeling God. I mean, we had conversation. You know, sometimes we'd finish those sessions on the on the murder mystery, and we'd have half an hour afterwards 
where I'd just be going, oh, that was awful. And you'd be going, oh, no, it was really good. Like everyone would, Everyone's really enjoyed the sessions. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, no, it was terrible. You spent four hours trying to look in a guy's briefcase. That was not part of the story. Like, I'm, And I'm thinking, this is on me. I've done something here to make you think that this briefcase is... It's the ring. That's that is it. That's the one true ring, and that's what you've got to chase. And and it was just absolutely a, a red herring. And 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 I'm going. Well, that must be on me. It must be on something that, how I've portrayed this NPC. How I've um, whereas so and then it's quicksand. You know, when it's when you feel like it's not going well, you you struggle more and you you get deeper and deeper. And ultimately, everyone said they enjoyed playing it. Everyone enjoyed the characters that they played because people played silly characters. Um, people did some I think it was good to it was good for us as a group because it allowed us to I think we got we got a lot more RP experience doing that than we than we'd had in our campaign up to that point it allowed it allowed people to to play completely out of their comfort zone I mean I remember a certain Nathan Peterson getting very very drunk at a party and that was that was fun it's it's funny like you say that I, I don't I don't want to give too much away about the story but it's it's funny you say that because like so I created a character who was um uh, uh, I can't remember if she was an elf or a half elf um druid and she was like supposed to be only like sixteen or something like that very young had literally just well when I created the character obviously the the, the, the sort of backstory to the game that we played ultimately didn't really work with it but ultimately the character the character I created she'd just come out into the world she'd been lived a very sheltered world and essentially she just wanted to learn about the world um, because she needed to re- report back to her family and stuff like that so she was supposed to be very inquisitive quite serious um, a lot would go over her head because she wouldn't understand references or wouldn't understand stuff and that I sort of that that was the character I, I devised but sometimes you've got to roll with the punches sometimes the character you build doesn't work with the story and you've just got to go with it and okay it was just a short campaign so it's not like it was on a long campaign but ultimately then it, it worked out that the story would work well if she just happened to be get very drunk very quickly and it was quite funny to play it was very funny to play it was a couple of hours where she was just a drunk teenager on a on a ship um, yeah and it sort of worked for the story but it was also just you know as you know being a player you just you, you sort of there's times where you do want to have fun, like we just we said earlier about you know there's driving the story forward, but equally you do need times where you just want to decompress and just have fun in the moment that you're in because you don't want to just be racing through. Yeah, that's a short campaign, and to some degree you are trying to race through it, but um, yeah, it, it was it was very fun. And like I say, now that we've talked about that campaign in particular, um, I think you did a great job. I think you did a stellar job. I do think, in hindsight, it's very difficult. We got offered this 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 uh, module, and obviously I can't read it beforehand to see whether I think it's something that a new DM should take, because obviously that would give me stuff that, as a player, I would know and whatever. So we just I just threw it at Stu and went, there you go, do this. And I think you're right. I think realistically, someone for their first DM session, unless they're unless it really fits into their wheelhouse of you know wanting to have complete. Um, uh, the whole story just be told to them and them just being a conduit for it um, and it for it to be so detail heavy I think it's always going to be quite an intimidating story to tell I think you did it I think you did it fantastically I think it's all great that we looked after we, we went for the, the, the suitcase because we're not watching 
Poirot or something like this. You know, ultimately, there are going to be red herrings. There are going to be things that we get, mm-hmm. you know, infatuated with, which have nothing to do with the story. The problem was we had that, and we didn't actually know where we should be going. It's not like we did that and it brought <laughs> us back on track. We just sort of needed Stuart to basically tell us the entire thing as we were going. Um, but no, in, in terms of the DMing, I think you did a fantastic show. You could see how much more comfortable we were, even second session of that. Even yeah. though it wasn't, it was the same story. Even second session, you felt more comfortable with it, and third, you know, equally so. Mm. And then when we got to the Christmas one, I think you did a tremendous job. What um, we sort of touched on it, or I sort of threw it at you, and you mentioned it. Um, what what strengths do you think then you you do and would bring as a DM? What what is the is it just the um the bullshitting part of it, if you will, that you think is what your strongest point would be? Ultimately, at this stage, I've DM'd sessions without actually understanding how the mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons work very well. So, um, yeah, uh, the fact that I've got that that kind of that that confidence to to just absolute BS through it um, has enabled me to do it. I, I, I do want to. I am keeping a lookout for for the source books for a reasonable price. I'm totally off topic, but the price that second hand DMs guides and players handbooks go for on eBay is ridiculous. They go for the same price as you can. I want to pay twenty pound for my for a second hand book. That's what I want, but no one's willing to sell them to me for that amount. Um, I think as well that um, what I am not and what I have never been in, in in any of the sessions, and I don't think it, it is. I would never be a, co- a combative DM. I would never be a DM who is against the players. Ultimately, I want the players to to do well. I want the story to progress. I think that I would have to learn, as I think you've had to learn, that sometimes you've got to be cruel to be kind, though, and you've got to put... There has to be peril, otherwise, what is the point? Like, I... I, another, I think that because I've come, come at it from a player's point of view, and I think about the players, what I want is... I want my players to feel like heroes. Mm-hmm. So... One thing, one thing that I think that I was proud of at the time was in the Christmas one shot. One of our players, anyone who's listening to this, will will, will know him. It's it's Will from from Roll the Damn Dice was playing in that one shot, and he was playing a fighter called Simon Says Miss, and his catchphrase was Simon Says Miss, but I never do, and that was his thing for his character. His character never misses, and one thing that I tried to do throughout the entire one shot was make that true. So. For example, he fired an arrow at a snowman that was an adversary. And prior to him fighting, firing an arrow at that snowman, our barbarian had taken a swing at the snowman. And when the arrow missed, the arrow didn't miss. It went through the hole that had been knocked out by the barbarian. So little things like that to make... I, I want my players to feel like heroes. Ultimately, that's why we play the game. We play it because we want to be heroes in a fantasy world. And... Um, Taking on board what my players want to do and trying to make make that true is something that I think would be my hallmark as a fledgling DM and something that I would want to build my DM in style on. Yeah, I I I agree that we didn't really talk about it too much in the in the the sort of TTRP session of this this chat, but 
you know there are there are ways of playing this game like you said you've got the the rules light the rules heavy the rpg the combat the, any game that you step into is going to be completely different if i go and play with taking them as an, an example if i go and play with roll the damn dice it's going to be completely different to anything i've ever experienced i don't know how um will plays as a dm in terms of how heavy he is on rules how you know how much of a stickler he is how much of a combatant he is in terms of like wanting you to not wanting you to fail but you know if you fail so what um it's, it's all going to be completely different but i think you're right like i come into our game dice and desire ultimately i want all five of you to survive till the very end I don't want any of you to have to create a new character. I don't want any of you to lose the character that you've fallen in love with. But at the same time, I don't want you to be immortal. Like, if you die, if something comes along that kills you and is good enough to kill you, good. Yeah. That's right, and it's right for the story, then good. I don't want you to get felled by something completely irrelevant. Like, we've had recently, Krill's been in a bit of peril with some giant rats in a cave. If he died then and there... A little bit anticlimactic, not just in terms of the the, the timing in in the story because we're still early on, but yeah. equally, our big barbarian got killed by some rats. is a bit it's a bit yeah. weak source, isn't it? If he's going to die, yeah. we want him to die at some mid level boss or you know someone completely powerful who who it makes sense for him to die against. Yeah, but I don't want him to die. But equally, I I want him to like you said. It's nice in the last few episodes we've had that are released. There's been some peril for you guys. We've had mm-hmm. the black blob, which could have quite easily killed you all. Had had that not had that gone a different way, could have quite yeah. easily killed all of you. The, 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 as much as I'm joking, the giant rats did do some damage to Krill. Admittedly, that was bad tactics on his part because he didn't rage and therefore he was taking more damage than he normally would because he over mm-hmm. uh, he was overconfident about what yeah. he was up against, and that will make him think. You know, and that's the thing is, it's not just about wanting to be heroic, but a bit of character development, both for the characters and the players. Like, he'll now go. If we ever go into another cave and there's a load of giant rats, I can sure as shit tell you he's raging immediately. Yeah. Um, and that's what you, like you say, that's what you want from your DM. You want to tell a good story. You want them to be. You want them to feel heroic. You don't want them to feel like they're just going through the motions. I don't want you guys to kill everything in your path with ease. And we mm-hmm. saw that recently in the last session we did without spoiling too much. You guys have come up against a foe, and it's fair to say you struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, you know, without spoiling too much again, it, it doesn't mean anything in the longer context. But at the same time, it felt like you were like, shit. Maybe we're a little bit out of our depths. Maybe we need to think about things. Maybe we need to look at how we approach yeah. this in the future. And that's what you want. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think I think like you you brought all that when we played. Um, so do you think homebrewing is that something you've so you said about wanting to do have you started is that something you've looked at actively to write your own thing I haven't started writing anything I've got I've got an idea so what what I what I don't feel confident doing I I, I want long term stories to come about organically Mm. um so what I foresee doing, and this is a bit of a spoiler for the campaign that we're going to play, is I want to write a series. I kind of told you guys this. Well, I want to write a series of one shots, which then get held together by a longer form story that comes out of it. 
Like I want, I want the long form stuff. I want it to, I want it to be completely open ended from the first point of view. I've got an idea for what I want the first session to be. I just need to work out the mechanics because it's going to be quite, it's going to be quite high concept. I, I want to really push myself on it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, just this, the idea of being completely in control of it. I like, I like the idea of using it as a creative outlet. That's then got a bit of a downside to it because you've got to wait for some inspiration. Um, mm. So it's, I wouldn't want to be, I, I wouldn't want to ha- be having to, having to create something on demand mm. to a, to a deadline. You know, uh, a, a, another one of our friends who DMs has, you know, said that he, often will turn up at a session and he doesn't really know what's going to happen because he just hasn't had a chance to, to prep for it and he's running homebrew. So he's got a rough idea of what's supposed to happen in the story, but ultimately he ends up winging it a lot, which reminds me of the way we used to play D&D at school, basically. Mm. Just complete, completely winging it. Um, I don't want to do that. I want to plan things that are going to be engaging, that are going to be fun. Essentially, I want I want to, I want to create a set sessions that are gonna that are gonna really pop the players that when the players realize what's happening they're gonna go oh yes because for me like as a player you get those moments when something amazing happens in the game and you get that feeling of yeah i just did that i want that as the dm and i don't want it from i don't want it from nearly killing you with a monster um and you're going oh bloody hell you nearly had us there Stuart. i want it from i want it from that moment of realization where you realize what it is that I've done, what it is that I've planned, or the re- you know the reference or the concept, and you go, mm. bloody hell, that's clever, or ah, oh, that's brilliant, and then you get it, and and you get that, and the players then get excited about it, and I want that feeling, so it has to be, um, it has to be creative, and it has to be, uh, it has to be really planned out. So in answer to your question, Nathan, no, I haven't started writing anything. <laughs> Fair play, though. Like, I, I do think you, you like you said earlier, you know, you, you're, you're fun at, you're good at the, 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 the bullshitting side of it, and I think you could probably, you could probably get away with being a bit of a skeleton story, make it up as you go along, sort of thing, maybe not, not maybe not to that idea, maybe not quite as, as simplistic as that, but you know, you could have an idea of where you want to start, where you want to be, and what the key points are in between, um, and then. Yeah, just just feel it out, especially as you know. I, I would, I, I don't know what your plans are, but I would have thought any games that we you run, if you're talking about the group that we played at Christmas, they're just for fun. You know, we're not yeah. necessarily playing them for the podcast. They're just literally. Yeah. So you don't have that additional pressure of making sure that people who listen to it, because um, that terrifies me as a DM. Like, I, I, it's it's not making, it's not just making sure that you six bit or you five people, sorry, um, enjoy yourself. Um, and, and carry on but then also thinking shit other people are going to listen to this oh my god I've forgotten the rules what should I be doing here should I be making them roll this should I be like it, it does definitely add a pressure um, which probably didn't help as well with the the, the pleasure boat thing because obviously I know we don't have an idea when that's going to be released or how but equally you know you, you would have been like shit this is my first time ever DMing and I'm doing it on on a podcast potentially um, yeah. so Cool. Um, we are sort of running a little bit longer than I expected, so I think unless there's anything else you want to talk about on DMing in particular, anything you raised, I, I want to play a little game with you. But is there anything else on, on DM that you want to talk about? No, man. No. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Right. Do I uh, need I, dice? Sorry. 
Do I need dice? Uh, yeah, just a D6, please. Just one D6 is all I need from you. Um, so, yes, we're going to play a very quick game. It's a completely original game. No one's ever played anything like this in the history, in the entire history of the world. Um, it's a game called uh, Satyr or Sorcerer. That's a joke, because anybody who's listened to uh, Frock Unwrapped, our other podcast that Stuart and I um, appeared on, um, there's a game on there called Sweeter or Saviour, and this is essentially, which in itself is, you know, relative. Well, it's not playing words, is it, I guess? But Savourier is, is certainly is. Um, I'm waffling at this point. Anyway, this <laughs> Santa or Sorcerer is essentially a play on words of sweeter or savourier. Um, wh- what those two words mean in the context of this game, nothing really. They're just two words that sound very similar to sweeter and savourer. Um, the idea of this game is we're going to choose at the outset one of the ability scores. Um, your charisma, wisdom, strength, whatever. Uh, and from there on in, we're going to do some random characters, sorry, some random monsters, and it's ultimately Stuart having to guess up front um, before they're, they're rolled whether they are high, the, the next monster is going to be higher or lower uh, score. What I will say, and this is something that obviously because we've got the mathematics here that we didn't have on Sweet and Saviour, which is obviously a bit of an opinion, um, what I'm going to say is if it meets, it beats, to steal a catchphrase from our um, friend uh, Luke from the uh, Dyson Dice Show. So if, if you say higher and the figure is actually the same, then we'll say that that's fine and we'll carry on. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the purposes of practicalities, I am going to, in future, have these sort of as a... Uh, what do you, what would you... Just some slips that I pull out of a hat or something in the, in the future. Yeah. At the moment, because this is I'm very unorganised, all I've done is I've grabbed the uh, monster manual and I'm just literally going to be flipping pages and picking a random monster at that point. So, first off, can you please roll me... A D6, please, to determine what stat we are building this on. That is a one. So that is strength. Okay. So if I if I had to choose one, I think I'd have chosen strength. Fair play. And what would be what would be your least favourite choice? What would be your bottom choice? I don't know. Maybe con because I, I genuinely like. It's, it's kind of not. Fairly... It's the least used stat yeah. in for a lot of things, and I don't really. I don't really have any understanding of, of, of what what anything's con would be, really. Whereas strength, you kind of know. Like, if you go, oh, it's a goblin, it's strength seven. You yeah. go, yeah, I, I understand that. I, strength, strength's pretty easy to get. Maybe intelligence second. Yeah. Some, 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 some kind of, right, your first monster, then. We are starting with, oh, it's a deep gnome. Isn't uh, it? it's, its strength is a 15. So you just think it's going to, the next monster is going to be higher or lower than a fifteen? It's a strong little gnome, isn't it? I'm going to go lower than a lower than a deep gnome. Lower than a deep gnome. I mean, they're pretty low as it is because they're deep and gnomes. Uh, oh, air elemental. Fourteen. Oh, just. There we go. Just. Uh, are we going higher or lower than fourteen? Let's go lower than a fourteen. Oh, what a man! What a, he lands on exactly the same page, so we won't do that. Um, and that also is not a page with any stats on it. Right, Shadow Demon. Oh. One. Really? A strength of one. Wow. I wonder where you're going to go with this one. Let's go higher than a one, please. Yeah, it's probably going to be higher yes. than a one, isn't it? Um, this is... Good God, how do I pronounce this? Kuatoa Archpriest 16. It's a strong priest. Ooh. He's a, a very strong priest, isn't he? <laughs> Bloody hell! Back to religion again. It's come full yeah. circle. You couldn't have planned that better. Let's go lower than a lower than a priest. Was your mate's dad quite strong? 
Lower than a 16, you say? Yeah. I'm afraid you've got Young Silver Dragon. 23. Oh. Whopping 23. A plus 6 modifier. Um, All right, well, I'm going to play by slightly different rules, which is... um, I'm not going to count the first one, which you used to play on Sweetener and Savior. There's no reason that everyone should start with one, Stuart. Like, (laughs) to get... So, so the context of the game over there, if you get your first one wrong, you still end the game with two points. I don't understand <laughs> the logic there. So uh, so that was three in total, I think, then. So we went, yep, high, low, high, low. Yep. Yeah, so, so that's three the points. And then the elemental. So one for the elemental, then the demon, oh. then the priest. Three, yeah. Yeah, so three. Yeah. That's all right. So it's a start. No, it's a good start. We've we've got the we've got the bar we've got the bar set and we'll just yeah. see whether the next person can leap on over it. There we go. Hopefully not. Hopefully that's the, the best score we ever get in that game because it's <laughs> tremendous. So that was Satyr or Sorcerer. Um, will that game stick around? We'll see. Maybe I'll develop a new game. Who knows? Um, thank you very much, Stuart, for joining me on my very first episode of uh, DM and DM. Um, Obviously wanted to get someone on that I was familiar with so that I could test this out, run this as a pilot, see if it works. I think it worked fairly well. It's nice to talk to you. I mean, if nothing else, it's nice to talk to you, Correct. a good friend of mine. And it's nice to talk to you about things that we don't normally, you know, ordinarily talk about, um, like your music and your how much religion you consume. <laughs> um, is there anything you wish to plug? I'm sure you've got loads of things you'd like to plug. I'd like to plug my YouTube channel, Nathan, which is uh, it's, it's YouTube, uh, Dweezil Van Zafir, which... It, in with hindsight, I should have probably gone for This Is Bad Car as the YouTube channel as well, because it's much easier to remember. Dweezil Van Zafir on YouTube. I am This Is Bad Car everywhere else. So on Twitter, This Is Bad Car. Uh, and TikTok, This Is Bad Car. Although, realistically, I'm not sure how much effort I'm putting into TikTok. And I am also now available on Spotify. The artist's name is This Is Bad Car. All one word. All one word. And I was listening to that last night as I was doing some final D&D prep for uh, for Monday session. And uh, whilst I, I'm a big fan of the stuff he's released on YouTube, I don't know, there was something about listening to it on Spotify sort of in the background. The, the thing I don't like about listening to music and stuff on YouTube is you can't, like, you have to be in YouTube to listen to it first and foremost. You can't just shut it down. Like with Spotify, you can sort of go off and play with other apps and stuff like that. YouTube, as soon as you leave YouTube, it's gone. So I hate that. Also, I feel a pressure to watch it. Yeah. Even though there's nothing more often than not, apart from the lyrics, there's not necessarily anything on screen. I feel the pressure to watch it. Whereas this was nice; it was just it was on. I was pissing about on the on the laptop, and it was on in the background. And I'll, I'll be honest, I found it so much better to listen to on there. Um, so if you haven't listened to the volume one, and it was also nice to have it all as a compact little playlist, yeah. rather than going from one to one, to, you know, one song to the next. So I really liked it, listening to it on, on Spotify. So what I'm saying is, if you found um, Dweezil Vansafir shit on, on YouTube. Try it on Spotify and you might like it. No, that's a joke. Clearly a joke because it's all tremendous. The man puts a lot of work into it. I think they're absolutely tremendous. He doesn't get the, the, the um he doesn't get the accolades that he deserves for the amount of work that he puts into it. Please do go and check them out. Um great reworkings of modern modern songs. Um anything else? I mean, do you want to plug Frack Unwrapped or Dyson Desire? I mean, people will know. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I felt I, as soon as I finished plugging things, I thought I should probably plug, plug should have plugged Dyson Desire. But ultimately, like you said, this is on the dice. This will be on the Dyson Desire feed. <laughs> so just just listen to the podcast just above it in your downloads. Um, yeah, if you've never listened to Frack Unwrapped, give it a go. 
Fruk, F-R-U-K, unwrapped, all one word, um, depending on when Nathan edits this podcast and puts this one out. Depends on how many episodes you've got left of it. Yeah, we are coming to an end on, <laughs> on that run. Um, but we've, we've, we've done well with that. You know, it's nearly four years in the making. Um, but yeah, do please listen to that. And obviously, if you've never listened to it, obviously, you've got four years worth of podcasts to listen to. Correct. Hooray you. Hooray you. Thank you very much, Stuart. I hope you've had a good time. Um, and I guess I'll speak to you on Monday. Yeah. See and you before Monday. then, probably. Probably. Every day. Constantly. <laughs> Every yeah. day. It's funny, isn't it? How often yeah. people talk to each other every single day. <laughs> I speak to Weird. you more than I speak to my wife. I'm never. Yeah, that's the point. I'm never catching up with you. Do you know what I mean? There's people I don't yeah. speak to for for weeks, months on end. And I'm like, so what's been going on? You're like, you. I just anything, anything happened since ten o'clock last night? No, probably not. Lovely stuff. All right, thank you very much, Jet. Thanks, Nathan. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button on your favourite podcast app to ensure you don't miss any future instalments of Dice and Desire. And in the meantime, if you want to interact with us, come and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dice and Desire. 